Welcome to Hort Culture, where a group of extension professionals and plant people talk about the business, production, and joy of planting seeds and helping them grow. Join us as we explore the culture of horticulture. What up? Hello. They're all... Th- we're live. It's Wednesday <laughs> afternoon. With the horticulture culture <laughs> <laughs> we're in another rare form today rare. so who knows what uh what jokes a lot of caffeine consumption there's a lot of caffeine caffeinated teas i think of our coffees of all flavors and nationalities yes yeah, Ooh, yeah. in some ways <laughs> starting it off here we go and we're chewing, back yeah. uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> ruminate <laughs> Why does a ruminate is a weird I word to me? I think I think, I, me, I, think, like I think of ruminants, kind of. and I'm just yeah. is that yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, so it's like, in a different you got, form, like, you know, chewing the cut is they kind of put it down below, it bring it back up, chew it, it again, below, and swallow it. Back it. Up. Right. Yeah. Uh, Redigesting. Okay, I was always like, it's like I knew what <laughs> that meant, but I didn't realize why it like was related. Okay, right. now you do. We look are, at us all full of tidbits today. Today yeah, about livestock. Can you tell mm. I'm a plant person? <laughs> I mean, to me, it seems mm. intuitive because I eat my problems. You so it. you uh, can eat it. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brett was eating some chips on here earlier, and I I don't know if I've been more jealous. Well, you had you've had like <laughs> pie and like, not today, them. not today, but on previous episodes, you've you've had Down pie there. and like Crystal. beer cheese, and then you claimed that you didn't have beer cheese. Do you all remember it? Was I didn't it have beer cheese? cheese. Hummus, I probably had. Pimento cheese, yes. maybe. Pimento kind of cheese. Yeah, something about justice or fairness yeah. in envy and jealousy. But it's like walking to a vineyard. They have something I don't have. <laughs> it's usually food related, too. Like when I think about all the things I'm ever jealous of, it's oh. good food yeah, that I, I see some, that people have. Had some ghost right, pepper right. chips. Which I guess, things. you know. They weren't, they weren't very, uh, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm, if no, I'm being, yeah, heat level, they were like. They were like low level, I, and I'm not one They're of those people that's like, "Oh, I'm really tough about eating spicy stuff." No, they were like not that spicy, and I, which I was glad about because if they had been actual ghost pepper level, I would have not been able to eat them. And you know, Brett, do you like to the, to the spice to no, be to a really. point where like you're sweating while well, you're eating? I, for for me, some people sweating while I'm eating is basically this. just any like a bowl of cereal. It's that picnics yeah. in the sun. Bowl of cereal, <laughs> like I can have a nice cream. steady drink. <laughs> it doesn't right. matter. Gotcha. Yeah. Glass of milk. <laughs> Unless I'm enjoying it so much but that I don't, I'm I don't sweating, everything else is inappropriate. Um, okay. Nice, nice accent. No, okay. pain um, is pain. There's no gain. Yeah. Um, I, I asked because that my dad always said like mm. it's spicy enough when I, my head starts to sweat, mm. and yeah. I always thought that was weird. And then I thought I'm going to tell that story one day at his funeral. And then I thought. Am I no. the only person who thinks about stories they're going to say at people's funerals? Right. For, for, <laughs> for Josh, it's All more of like an airing of grievances. In general. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's more of a I'm last testament to their right my pin. <laughs> On another podcast, maybe a maybe our holiday podcast. With, let it be known. Let it um, be known. We'll do an airing of, I think that should be a theme, airing of your grievances. Seinfeld theme for mm, like, like a airing of your plant, yeah, Festivus for the rest of us. Uh, no Ray, do you remember when Boyle County did that? I won't go into that story. I but, do. Um, that was a. Qu- it had a lot of personality to that yeah, session. Yeah, well, everybody was dressed as like oh. their favorite. 
Christmas movie or whatever. And, uh, you know, thing. so Charlie Brown was there. Ray, did you guys do the Grinch? I don't yeah, we did a whole Christmas. Everybody kind of- was dressed up and Boyle County all came wearing black. And we put like a pole upon our table. <laughs> the I didn't know where that was going, to be honest. <laughs> did not know where that was going. Oh, it was a good time. It was a good yeah, time. that anyways, was fun. Yeah. Back to today and the podcast that we talk about plants uh, and all that cool stuff. Wanted to open up with our open up our mailbag for this because we always say let us know tell us how we're doing tell us what you know you want to see in the future and here's uh, proof that we actually do that so clues when it's mail time no Um, yeah why i don't want to copyright you you know copyright struck (laughs) it's the mail it's gonna be so accurate makes me that's my best that's my best mailbox I liked it. It was yeah. That was my best blues clues. The blue makeup that you put on for that does not seem I worth it. Thought a bee was after you. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the production value was good. The mailbag is open. I'm really, I go hard for the pot. It's important to me. We got mailbag mail. is open. So, uh, if you have been listening to our podcast, uh, if you've particularly listened to the mulch podcast, if you haven't, go back and listen to it do it. But anyways, this one is in relation to that. And so we had mentioned voles uh, in the mulch podcast. And this person is talking about how <laughs> now that they live in Kentucky, they're, they feel like they're in the vole epicenter, which uh, in Boyle County, we're the mole with an M epicenter. Uh, I get weekly calls on those, but voles are also uh, something that's really bad. And, and they used a paper mulch in their garden and it <laughs> said it seemed to kind of open up this world uh, i love this the world's vole convention uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> and it, they, they didn't come and they didn't leave and so just talk let's talk through maybe quickly about just the vole dilemma that can come with mulch and maybe ways you guys uh-huh. have combated it voles seem to be uh, i don't know those years where we have a lot of snow but you're probably going to have a lot of voles because they have cover and they kind of continue to reproduce under that cover. That's the worst years I've ever seen. We've gotten lots of calls in those years, but it's related to kind of if they have any kind of protection, like, you know, grass, uh, whatever snow, whatever it tends to be that hides them from predators, you mulch in this case, uh, you run the the risk of hiding them from predators effectively and they have a high reproductive rate. So you up your odds of having vole problems mm-hmm. and voles are different than moles. Uh, voles kind of, you can recognize those, they run very close to the top of the ground. Their runs are so you can sort of see. Uh, where mm-hmm. they go, whereas moles are under the ground. And they have different eating habits, of course, too. Moles are more like um, grubs and earthworms. Voles, unfortunately, are things like the bark off of your young fruit trees or mm-hmm. it's uh, your tender bulbs. So they have different they habits. Like a spectrum. They more problems. like mice, too. Like if there was yes. a slider and I've on heard the left-hand side was a mouse yeah. and on the right side was a mole, as you dragged the slider and it shifted, the midpoint somewhere would be like a vole, kind of. Yeah, I've heard yeah, people call like field a, It's like a, like, like a vole with like a platypus yeah. vibe. They I'm sorry, they look like a mouse with a platypus vibe, kind of. <laughs> a little like, I don't know. This is weird. This <laughs> yeah, is weird. a little bit. They kind of got, freak I can out. see that. I can yeah. see that. Yeah, but mulch, mulch can cause, definitely cause problems, especially if you're using cardboard and laying things on top of it. They love to get under there. They're protected. They set up their mold conventions. Yeah. You turned up the, the volume, volume on them. Pump up um, volume. Just came up there. Right there. <laughs> sorry. Uh, the yeah. Volume. 
Exactly. So yeah, you create this situation where they can get away from the the guys. It's another, that I mean, it's them. another so issue that's with where we see <clears> most <throat> large scale cover crop, no till cover crop adoption is that when you roll down that rye or whatever wheat, whatever you may mm. do, it does create a lot of vole habitat, which can then cause problems later for. And so it's you know it everything's a challenge. There's always balance there. Yeah. Um, you were mentioning Ray in uh, the. Mm-hmm. The small gravel in some of the commercial. Yeah, these can be a uh, voles can be a huge problem because once again, uh, you know, orchards, uh, they can be a huge problem in commercial orchards or even at home with single fruit trees. But young fruit trees that have very tender bark. Uh, the voles are attracted to those. And uh, orchards, you'll a lot of times see uh, orchards, and I know our local orchards are all set up this way. They have learned over time to, number one, clean out the grass around the fruit trees, open it up to predators, and then you'll start to see things like hawks and owls swooping down, and that's a good thing in this instance. But they've also learned to put gravel. You'll see this strip of gravel with the fruit trees right in the middle down the rows, strip of gravel, find crushed gravel. I don't I forget the the number on the gravel, but there it's finer gravel. And, uh, and that's a light color. And for some reason, the, the voles absolutely do not like that. They don't like to cross that, whether it's exposure to predators or they just don't like the texture. It really is a super effective way of protecting uh, commercial orchards and fruit trees. And that's how they so do it. So would you all the say problem. that they as far as managing it, it versus putting down mulch, <clears throat> I mean, part of the reason the voles like it is the same reasons that we like mulch in that it, keeps the ground cool. It can kind Mm -hmm. of increase root growth and other stuff like that. It's like, so it it is a balancing act. I mean, is that the, the the true story or is there kind of like, is there a, we can fix, I, I, I would not encourage putting poisons down because of the ways that that can bioaccumulate through the food chain. Um, I don't know if what the extension recommendation is Mm -hmm. for not yes or no on rodenticides. It just depends. I mean, there's there are some specific products, but I think they're they're used very cautiously, and you need to work with someone like a private lands wildlife biologist. If you have to go that route, if you're a commercial operation, there may be some options, but those are kind of a last ditch effort. We just don't use those willy nilly. That's not the first line of defense. The first line of defense is habitat modification. And if you're a homeowner, you really got to watch the use of like, I mean, and something that I enjoy using like newspaper and cardboard and then laying things on top of that as a mulch, that voles love that. And if you're having trouble with voles, you probably have to modify the way you're mulching and go with more of an open mulch or one that's not like a layer that does help. Uh, It's the layering, but boy, they just get under there and set up a mold convention as uh, the reader outlined in his... uh, emailed us so i would i would say as far as balancing act goes you're probably gonna in my opinion gain more from mulch whatever kind of mulch you're using um in my case where i've had bowl problems it's been uh that black fabric quote-unquote mulch not necessarily just a wood mulch that they're underneath but I think you're going to have more benefits from the mulch than you will have the destruction from mm-hmm. the voles. There are some really cool, very easy and expensive traps that you can make mm-hmm. uh, that they will, you know, just to kind of take care of them. So if you look up, you know, homemade vole traps, you'll find a, a huge mm-hmm. list of ways to do those. Uh, and if usually if you can get rid of kind of those first ones and you can notice a problem early, uh, you can take care of a lot of that. Uh, I would, I'd also recommend 
outdoor cats. Uh, if you're in a larger uh, like farming operation and not a homeowner, mm-hmm. uh, one really cool thing that just makes you sound cool is if you have raptor perches, uh, which are essentially exactly what they sound like, where they're just areas where those owls, mm-hmm. those hawks can come and kind of scout over your field and take care of those problems. And I have had some luck, and this is one of it's. They, it's in an ex- extension publications, but we don't give it a lot of weight. And the reason why is because sometimes it can work once and not work again. It can work for you and not your neighbor. There's just not, but but it can work, and it's a pretty inexpensive thing to try. Is uh, capsaicin granules, and so um, those are, you know, capsaicin pepper or whatever. And it's just these little granules that break down over about a three month period and they don't like what it does to the soil as far as, you know, it just adds like a, a, a spice for lack of a better term that I'm thinking of right now, a spiciness to the soil. And I have had that work well in small areas, like a high tunnel Mm -hmm. where I'm putting it along the edge of the tunnel uh, to kind of keep them from coming in and they're going to stay out somewhere else. Uh, I don't necessarily think it'll work for every situation or really large areas, but if you have a small area, you're, trying to keep them out of um, using it as a barrier, I, I think can be an, an option if you can give it a shot. It's pretty inexpensive. Do your corgis do anything with them? Like, Oh my God. Did I ever tell you the story about when Remy caught a vole? No, but okay. they're little dogs and little rodents. Usually yeah, so are- I, have a, I have a little corgi. We use silage tarps on the farm and mm. voles love silage tarps. And you pull that sure. up and man, you see see their runs underneath there. And so the cats will line up. We have uh, barn cats and they'll line up kind of around the silage tarp and they'll snag things as they're coming mm. out, uh, freaking out and stuff. Uh, and one, one time Remy, my little corgi, got got in it into it with the cats right he's like excited he's like hunting with them and corgis are herding dogs for those of you who don't know they're not hunting dogs at all they're not rat dogs or anything they were not bred for that but man he oh. snagged one of those voles coming out of there swallowed it whole Whoa. I, yeah. I was like oh god because <laughs> this is my dog that's allergic to yeah. chicken and he just swallowed a bowl yeah. whole <laughs> claws and all and i was like this is not gonna end well so we watched him like really carefully for you know about 24 hours and never had any issues (laughs) nice now somehow he's not not be careful what you use as far as poisons go i believe from Mm -hmm. a homeowner, homeowner perspective I believe that nothing you all buy is something that will carry through to predators uh but I believe those ones you have to have a commercial license to purchase. But, Phosphide type products, yeah. But you still can have, you know, other animals eat that that you might not want to. I did so, see um, <clears throat> the agenda for the 2024 Mole Convention came out or Vol, Vol Convention. Um, yeah, well, Vol, they're still Vol, they're still Vol, looking Vol, for volunteers. Oh, yeah. Is it? Is it ha- oh man! Oh, there <sighs> he is. We I'm told you, we up. warned you, folks. <laughs> well, anyways, let's- for the rest of this episode, we're going to be throwing these things out. They're real words. Well, they're also they're also still, they're if you guys are interested in real maybe words. getting on the program, just- they are there was a call for proposals as well. Oh, oh man! Oh, <laughs> oh man! We're all just yeah shaking our head. Um, we're trying to think of things. It's, I mean, it's impressive now. though. I don't, know that, I don't know if I would go that far, but. Anyway, <laughs> repressive, regressive. What did you say? I misunderstood that. I'm just, I'm just impressive to, is that I haven't left yet. 
I started it and Brett is finishing it. So let's jump to our topic for today. Oh, we have a topic. We actually, we do have a topic. It is not voles, but we are happy to talk about those. So if you guys have questions, yeah. you know, we always say shoot us one on via email or if you're on Instagram, you can shoot us one on there. Uh, and if we don't already have a topic coming up about it, we will, we will open up our mailbag. Yeah, yeah, we love those when you guys reach out like that and have specific, you know, questions or comments. Love it. Love it when you guys have those. But today we're going to talk about garden cleanup because we're, we're getting to the time of year where you should be or hopefully are. And maybe you're, you already <laughs> are because we talked about burnout already. So maybe you're already <laughs> at that point. Uh, we're thinking about um, ending the season and the cleanup that goes along with it, why it's important, uh, what to do, you know, the last thing you want to do, especially when it's, you know, cold outside is, is clean up. And <laughs> this and, is one of those do as I say, and not as I do kind of podcast. But home gardeners, I have a serious lead in question here. Okay. Well, somewhat serious lead in question, mainly for home gardeners, but this is a philosophical debate I have with myself every year as I'm <laughs> trying to decide the course of my future at the end of my gardening season. And it is this. For you, dear listeners, please provide feedback. I would love that on this question. But towards the end of the garden season, when do you stop your garden? When the production, when the last tomato is bitten by the frost and shut down, or when you get absolutely sick of looking at it? When do you shut down your garden? <laughs> I mean, these are things that I'm trying to make this decision now. I'm like, tomatoes you're being very productive i appreciate that but enough enough and i'm about <laughs> to the point and i feel a little guilty every time i do this my garden is still somewhat would productive you, out back but i'm about would you say, to Ray, plow it under i'm about to just it, mow it down if you look back on the the course of your life and the many gardens you have you have gardened would you say that you tend to have done one of those the two options you gave one of those more than the other Let's just say that I have oh. bitten more gardens than the winter. Oh, crops. that was so, okay, that, that yes. Was, yeah. Let's just say that I did something for me. I was ready for it. I was ready for it. I mean, uh, there yeah. comes a point, and, and mainly it's a, really and this applies Ray, to, Ray to home gardeners. I know because if you have a production garden, yeah, yeah, I like nice. it. Jack, move over. I mean, I'm coming with a mower, baby. I'm coming. I'm coming. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's tough. And we're, we're lucky to have such a bounty. And and so, and so these great varieties that are long season producers, even though the days are getting shorter, they're, they're still very productive. And if you do a good job and keep the diseases at bay for an appropriate amount of time, I mean, these some of these things just kind of keep going. I'm like... Quit showing yeah. off indeterminate tomatoes. I am sick of you uh, or green beans or whatever the case. But yeah, I, I was talking with someone about that at the office the other day. And they're like, no, we're sick of our garden. We, we've canned 400 cans of stuff and we're done. And yeah. uh, we were, <laughs> we got into this whole discussion. I thought it was a great, a great topic. I was like, yeah, come to think of it. I have mowed down a lot of semi-productive gardens that could have given more, but I have mm -hmm. nothing left to give. 
So I oh, give yeah. them rest in the form well, of a there, mower. There so. is the limit usually for your capacity to can. Like, do you yes. want to go out and Freeze buy or more cans. jars every year? Yeah. Or, you know, you filled up your pantry. It's done. <laughs> and, and Alexis, I believe it was Alexis said something during the uh, the last podcast that we had, the way that she deals with her, and it, it hit deep in my heart, but I didn't say anything <laughs> at the time. I was saving it. That the, the way she deals with certain problems in her operation is she just burns them to the ground. So she doesn't have to look nice. at them. And that, that, that resonates. With me, like ringing a bell in the darkness, that resonated with me, people. It did. So, yeah, Alexis, I am with you. No. Uh, yeah, yeah. So and that's I think you know, exposure to commercial contexts helps be a little more ruthless because uh, there are times where it's just you know, if you either have mm-hmm. paid labor or you yourself are the labor, it's literally not worth going back through again to get that, that thing out, you know, the, the, the amount of time that you're going to spend hey, absolutely. relative, yeah. especially for something like green beans, where you can't just look, you know, you got to kind of get in there and see, yeah. and eventually it's like, okay. I talked mm-hmm. with a producer that this morning, it was like the fourth picking and it was bush beans. <laughs> so they had to bend over and that didn't excite them, but they were pretty decent little commercial operator. That was the exact discussion, Brett, is they yeah. said it's not worth their time because the rows were long and they had to move a long distance and they just were mowing them down. They said, well, the average person would look and say, oh my gosh, there's all yeah. these beans left, not worth their time commercially mm-hmm. to, to spend the time traversing that, you know, long distances just to get. And it is one know, of those two times kind of too, where sometimes the, the yeah. you know, Good depending point. on what you're doing, having broken it up into more of a successional planting means that the, the task you, you could take out your first two plantings of beans and still have, you know, a decent second or third picking off of your later beans. But if you've planted everything or everything went out all in one go or whatever, which a lot of us do, which is totally understandable. Yeah, there is, there comes a point. I definitely, I don't know that I've ever, I can't remember a time where I've let it go without terminating it myself speaks maybe to my control mm-hmm. issues or something but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. if somebody's you gonna kill these guards it's gonna be, <laughs> it's gonna be me <laughs> you can pry these tomatoes from my cold dead fingers it's a it's like a my garden memoirs will be the song of ice and fire but i think it's already taken i mean i'm not gonna let the frost get yeah. it i'm gonna burn it i'm gonna kill it with fire people yeah so regardless yeah, of whether you you terminate it yourself yeah. or you let you let the, the chilling winds do it for you. Are we, do we have some kind of principles or thoughts? I mean, do we just leave everything where it lays and let it go back to the earth and the great cycle of life and death? Or do we find a middle ground or do we pull everything out and replace all the soil every year, dig everything out with a backhoe? I haven't done that yet. Well, like so many times in life mm. and like so many situations, it depends, Brett. It depends. The, so. the song that comes to mind when I think of garden cleanup is uh, oh, "Down oh, with okay. the Sickness" by Disturbed. Oh, good old, good old. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not a surprising choice so, for you, Alexis. Right. So, uh, but, but nobody now I'm is shocked. Trying not to sing that into my microphone. Sorry. So. Uh, my and and I say that because th- there is a reason. Uh, Down with the sickness is what I think about as the priorities for what I'm going to clean up because whether you're terminating it yourself or you're letting winter terminate it for you, uh, you're probably sick and Mm. tired of it (laughs) in some form or fashion. So if you can kind of hit on it and then to me, you know, we always say do it before winter comes or as soon as it's, as soon as that frost hits, like go out and do it. But in all honesty, I think if you're doing it within, you know, 
enough time that you're going to be able to clean it up and have it kind of have a little bit of a rest period before you plant again. I think that's okay. And I say that because in Kentucky, we usually have like a couple warm days in February. And that's one of my favorite times to do garden cleanup. Um, And, and that, and I, and the garden I'm stumbling I'm sorry the kind of garden cleanup I do in February is different from what I would do like right after that termination uh Mm. and that's where the down with the sickness comes in so my priority is to get rid of anything that had disease really bad disease or insect pressure first Uh, very Darwinian I like it burn it get it off the property don't compost it all those standard things well hold on hold on I don't know that those might not be familiar to everyone so so yeah 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 Okay. You're right. You're right. You're right. That's, you're right. So uh, ideally we want to, you know, if you know that you had problems, you don't necessarily have to be able to identify the insect or identify the disease, but most of the time we can identify that something is wrong. Uh, and so you want to um, remove those. Usually it's the whole plant. So root and all, if it's insects, uh, unless it's a root bound insect, usually the top ground growth will be enough. But when it comes to disease plants, I typically like to get kind of the whole plant rip it out have your have a good you know put on your good metal music and just like rip your stuff out and any any dropping so with tomatoes like uh, blight we get a lot of blight on our tomatoes in the state with with our weather and so removing anything that has fallen those leaves that have fallen down just kind of rake up anything that was uh, diseased or had bad insect pressure bag it in a trash bag and throw it away or burn it you know pretty quickly. Uh, don't wait until next spring to do that. Uh, kill it with fire because those things will overwinter. So those diseases, a lot of them have overwintering structures. Those insects may have laid eggs that are going to overwinter and they're just going to pop right back up exactly in your garden where they were. So you want to get them off of the property um, in some way, form or fashion. And that's kind of my priority. And then I'm about like tired, like I'm done. Uh, mm-hmm. And I save all those cutting back, all those general just kind of raking up stuff, um, maybe putting your stakes away, any sanitizing of my tools. Personally, I'm not saying this is the right thing to do. I'm just saying this is what I do. Um, I like to do that in those February days when you're kind of itching to get out anyways and you're not so like physically and mentally exhausted most of the time. What about you all? I don't know. In the, in the garden, from my experience, uh, the way I kind of mess around and piddle around and do things is uh, in the fall is kind of a semi busy time. I mean, not commercial type busy or production type busy, but it's a, I feel the changing of the season. So I feel like it's a good time to do all those things that you uh, just now mentioned, Alexis, Mm -hmm. you know, and do other chores. Like, you know, I think about how I manage my leaves and you know, where the leaves are at and what I want to do with the leaves. Do I need to do anything with the leaves? Uh, how's my compost pile doing? Uh, some of the stuff that was in the garden that wasn't diseased. I love, you know, taking that, grinding it just a bit to break it down, throwing it into a compost pile. But I know that I have to manage that through the winter to maintain minimum temperatures. But yeah, all of those things I feel with the coming of the season when I, and I love, you know, the end of a garden season. I don't know why, but it's a break point for me. Uh, in seasonality, you know, we talked a little bit about seasonality in our last podcast, but yeah, all those things that you just mentioned, you know, I love doing, you know, in the fall, 
I love the the fall time of the mm-hmm. year and the shorter days, cooler days. It's more comfortable to work outside. You know, I yeah. try to take garden mm-hmm. notes of what worked well, what didn't. And it's surprising how bad my memory is. And I'm like, oh, I had that tomato variety last year. That was excellent. And then I can't remember what it was and I end up, you know, losing it. So to write those things down, I try to do a little garden journal. If I really love something or if something failed miserably, try to write all those things down to reflect a little bit at the end of the I term. think, you know, you know, stuff like that. Acknowledging that, you know, thinking of the gardening as a it's a circle. You know, it's not like uh there's no there's no actual beginning and end to the lapse. And you can think of it as starting whenever it's, you know, we're coming back around. So there are actually things that we're gonna be planting in the fall. Um, or maybe planting in the fall. And so I think of those as sort of like related. So for instance, you know, planting garlic and planting cover crops. Mm -hmm. If you're going to do annual strawberries, Mm -hmm. you're going to be likely putting those, or you're going to be putting those in in probably September Mm -hmm. in Kentucky at least. And so I think of those Mm -hmm. two things as kind of a related moment where you're starting to, just like we had that episode um, Mm -hmm. a month or two ago, talking about, or yeah, I guess two months ago, uh, talking about now's the time when you're sweating like crazy in summer is the time to be thinking about planning for your planting for your fall (laughs) garden in the same way. If you want to have a nice green lush cover crop out there that you can look out and see in December of your winter wheat or your rye cereal rye or your winter peas or whatever, now is the time to, you know, not now per se, but this little stretch of time is when to be mm-hmm. thinking about planting those things. Uh, another thing that I definitely, mm-hmm. from experience, I clean up in the fall as soon as it's done is like uh, cabbage plants. Because when it, mm-hmm. if you <laughs> have had the, the privilege of smelling cabbage plants that have frozen and thawed and frozen <laughs> and thawed like a dozen times... Over the course of winter, it is it's incredible. What? The neighbors love it. It's enchanting. It's romantic. Brett, I saved some of those things so I could chuck them at my brother. I specifically saved some of the little cabbages, and I'm like, ooh, that one's juicy. Yeah. And then, oh, man, my aim got so good. This goes for any of anything in the brassica family. So mm-hmm. that's your broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, cabbage. Uh, if you're yeah. flower people, kale. stock is a brassica. So – Kale, yeah, colors. they uh, those sulfur. And the thing is, it, it's a little bit right. later for those, so they they can it, take a little bit of frost, they can take a little bit of cold. But at some point, whenever it's mm-hmm. done, when we've decided, I try my best, even if it's cold, to go out and pull those things and 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 get rid of them, just because we live in the city, you know, close by other people. Another thing that I do, and I think it's uh, there's different approaches and different thoughts about it, but so we have. Now we used to do it just a big vegetable garden, but but now we have a lot of ornamentals, including things like wildflowers and native grasses and some. They're not full on woody woody. They're, they're herbaceous perennials, but they get kind of woody uh, in the course of growing. So, in other words, they die mm-hmm. back all the way to the ground and grow from the ground each year, as opposed to a tree like a tree or a bush that has an above ground structure and it buds off of it. And so with those, I like to, just from a sense of neatness, I like to cut those. However, as we learned from our entomologists and other uh, friends, there's a lot of insects that lay their eggs and overwinter in those both 
Mm-hmm. Uh, good and bad seems a bit facile for us, right? There are no good and bad, but but you know, mostly beneficials are the ones <laughs> that I'm worried about. So I, if I cut those, I will often lay them down in piles right where I cut them, so that once it warms up in the spring and I feel like everything's moved mm-hmm. around, I can go and spread those as mulch somewhere else, or I can do something with those. But I do like, I do prefer a little bit more neat and orderly rather than this crazy spindly wild thing. And it also makes it easier mm-hmm. to see when stuff's coming up in the spring and I don't, you know, see weeds and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah. That's an important that's, one. Those yeah. are some habits. And we found out with like hardy mums, I guess would fall in that category of what you're talking about. Brett, we're finding out that things like hardy mums, they actually have better winter survivability for whatever reason, self-mulching, we think, you know, self-insulating, self-mulching because they tend to catch leaves and debris and that, you know, kind of mulches the crown. But yeah, some of those things actually do better through the winter if you just leave them, which goes against my nature. I just want to mow everything down, be done with it. So I don't have to see it. Uh, not looking at you, Alexis, but <laughs> as far as some of these things, it's just better health wise for the plant. Yeah. You know, some of these herbaceous perennials or these hardies that can make it through well, a winter time. They have better. Some of them you know, like they actually, rates. they you know, evolutionarily, they, they like to burn like some of the grasses. I, I did that a couple mm-hmm. back when I was bolder and, and dumber and y- younger. I did that mulch several times. It is a, it, I'm, I will say it is a huge fire. vibe, but partially because you feel it's, it feels dangerous. Yeah. So I did that at you know, <laughs> oh, the urban backyard and there was this yeah. huge plume of like smoke that went up, but Love it. I mean, they liked it. They, they liked it and I liked it. Oh, whoosh. Yeah. Grasses really respond to that. We used to burn like it was one of my favorite memories of uh, Brio. We worked with a lot of native uh, prairie grasses at the Bluegrass Army Depot with a wildlife oh study I was gosh. doing, but we burn like 10, 15 acres yeah. at a time. Yeah. And it was a rush. <laughs> it was, oh, I mean, man. buffalo grass and Indian grass. I mean, yeah, all the plume, all the, yeah, yeah. exactly what you're saying, bro. I get it. I get it. It is. And they do, they do. They but I, love now I don't do that especially. anymore. They I love just that cut them and bundle yeah. them and they do fine. You know, they, they don't need it, but uh, yeah. So if you're, you know, if you're going to do that in your area yeah. or you're out somewhere, you know, follow your local ordinances about what you should do with that, get your burn permit and, and all that kind of fun stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that I, I do, I do think that there, there are recommendations out there to not just mow it or not just, you know, not take it out and get rid mm-hmm. of it. Um, some of that, some of those, especially the native stuff. Yeah, they're they're in the. I mean, I know we're talking about gardens uh, right now on the topic of gardens primarily, but thinking about landscapes, there's lots going on. I mean, that you can do August, September, October, getting your landscape uh, ready for winter. And one thing that I stress, and I've just seen so many problems with uh, in my county that I'm at here in central Kentucky, like, uh, you know, some things that we tend to overlook or homeowners tend to overlook is like young, newly planted trees, like a red maple, for instance, that have very thin bark that may be younger, mm-hmm. have thinner bark than even normal, you know, that has frost crack, that tends to frost crack in the winter. You know, the sun hits one side of the plant, the rest Cherries. of it stays asleep. It just destroys the life of that plant. But I mean, there's lots of chores like that that we can do as far as wrapping plants in the winter. And so, so can you, spring. you, but what you else said what the problem I'm is, but what's the, of, what's the thing that mm, you do to it? 
Uh, there's tr- just different wraps. You can get like commercially prepared, like tree wraps uh, to wrap that. It's just important not to leave those wraps on year round because it becomes a safe haven for insects that are not always desirable. But put them on in the fall months. Uh, let them mm. go through the winter. After the the last freeze in the spring, you can take those off. But it will save you. Um, it'll save a lot of young trees if you do that. If you've planted mm. like these young, young thin bark trees, and you know that the sun winter sun's going to hit one side of that. Mm-hmm. Typically, depending on the location, is to protect that. We can do yeah. stuff like that. It's really important in the winter. And I've just seen larger farms where I'd go out and they have two hundred red maples, and they're all just. The, the damage occurred six, eight years ago, but you know, mm. they're just now seeing the fallout of that frost cracking and, mm-hmm. and they've lost every single tree and it's amazing. Yeah. But just things yeah, like the that. The kind of, it, you know, there's a couple of things going on there. It's like, it's protecting them from those sunny winter days where it warms up too much, yeah. too quick, but it can also with younger kind of plants, you know, you're getting that protection of some of the like rabbits and rodents that are like scavenging mm. around Dual in the winter purpose, time. Yeah. It'll prevent them from chewing and like stripping the bark. The and stuff voles, like that. yeah. Yep. In some cases, yeah. So stuff like that. I mean, uh, so there, there are there are lots of things going on in the landscape. I mean, some bulbs are. I mean, Alexa's going to have tons of information on this. I'm sure some bulbs homeowners are putting in the ground. Other bulbs, Alexis, I guess, are what taking Tulips, out. Tulips, right? Yeah. Dang. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, all your all your bulbs that need a cold period. So your narcissus, your tulips, your fritillaria, stuff like that. Your garlic. Yeah. You know you need that cold period to establish a root system, um, and getting those in. Honestly, you can get those in. That's the other thing that uh, you know peonies are another example of this kind of anything that has a some sort of tuberous bulbous. Uh, root system to it Uh, a lot of our even our perennials if they're dormant so um, you know whether that's a some sort of more woody perennial like a lilac or uh, some of you know like I said I already mentioned peonies things like that but they can go in until the ground freezes is is really where it is and Mm -hmm. so in Kentucky you know some years that's late December before that happens and I think we can give ourselves a little bit of a little bit of room for error there uh and you know if you're wanting to get the garden more cleaned up and spend some more time doing that because you've got those fall crops to put in you know your cover crop needs to go in earlier than your tulips do uh and and just kind of thinking about when do i when's the last minute (laughs) that i can put this in uh and and with plants i feel like it's kind of like that like you're always thinking of like when is Mm. the least amount of time i have to take care of this um and so you can you kind of add that into we're talking about cleanup but you know cleanup can mean like brett said a lot of different things you know if we're talking about Landscaping. One thing I always forget, uh, and I, I mention it in my my most recent newsletter because I always personally forget, is August September time. You know, is the time to be pruning your evergreens, and so it's kind of the last time to be pruning your evergreens mm-hmm. because you, um, so that they don't have really tender growth going into winter, and you're also not opening up a wound going into winter. So. Uh, for those of you out there who maybe have those uh, types of things. And usually we're talking about broadleaf evergreens. Uh, so beer boxwoods, azaleas, things like that. But And conifers are a lot more room for error with, with them. But just just some things to think about from that perspective that cleanup can also mean just kind of basic maintenance for some things that can have I ask, weird uh, times a year to do that. 
mm-hmm. question? <laughs> no. What's no. what's the deal ask. with leaves? <laughs> Ooh, I, I, yeah, was I was hoping I was hoping somebody would, somebody would bring that, that up. Fit, Josh. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> How much you love I mean, leaves? I think there are different sort of strategies for it. I personally don't uh, rake leaves because I'm more interested in protecting my trees in my landscape than my lawn. But if you are very concerned about protecting your turf grass, I believe the recommendation is to not have much more than uh, 20% kind of coverage of leaves mm-hmm. to leave on, to not allow them to mat up and create like a layer. Um, but uh, I don't really care about my lawn all that much. I'm more interested in the trees. And um, I mean, aside from raking them all up, I think one of the better strategies, if you have a mulching mower, is to just mow mm-hmm. them in. Yeah, that's because what, it's, what I do. It's free. It's free nutrients. I think it also the soil. it also helps You're to not have soil. big giant leaves that are easy to catch on the wind and blow down and go down into the sewer system. Uh, if you live because that's that's one of the pushbacks sure. that I think is yeah. fair yeah. about like not just letting the leaves rock and roll is is that it does cause some some cloggages mm-hmm. in the uh yeah. in the in the sewer system but yeah the, the mulching component uh and it also if you have uh if, if anybody's out there's gone down the, the direction of having a mulch i mean a moss lawn or a moss garden you want to keep the leaves off those as well mm-hmm. uh it'll it'll smother them those mm. poor little bryophytes will just not do good under there they like to have a open open view of the stars just like me i mean um, beautiful if you have that many leaves uh if you have just an absolute surplus that not even a mulching mower can take care of hopefully you know you have a friend or maybe you personally even have like uh we talked about a just very briefly compost pile out back uh, Mm -hmm. to grind those up and and that's the one of the few times i ever use a a leaf catcher on the back of my mulching mower is if I either want to use the leaves as grass clippings that, you know, uh, as mulch in my garden, or I'm catching leaves in the fall to put in the mulch pile, but I'm still grinding them up. So they break down quicker. But then if I have an absolute surplus of them, I'm very fortunate to have enough room in the back just to go throw them in a pile because in the wintertime, I'm trying to increase the size of my compost pile so that it'll at least be three foot by three foot by three foot and self-insulate and continue to compost through the winter. And if you're someone who, for whatever reason, we try not to have judgment on this podcast, but for Mm. whatever reason needs to bag their leaves um, because, you know, maybe you do have that moss lawn. For the love of God, tell a farmer because I would kill. (laughs) I have kills. I have kills. No. (laughs) I will not admit that on a recording, but please. You just did. There's somebody who wants them. Uh, and it may be, you know, your neighbor five mi- five minutes down the road, but it also might be, uh, you know, a farmer. I know lots of farmers who in my area, we can hoof it to Lexington, which is where UK is located. And there's a lot of uh, suburban area where people are bagging their leaves. Are you using that for mulch or organic matter or both? Both. Uh, So a lot of them are using it for mulch on more tender Mm. perennials. Um, Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, using them also to incorporate into the soil if they've got bad soil, whatever it is. So 
I wish there was like, I don't know, maybe there's a Facebook page out there. I feel like there's a Facebook page for everything, but it's like a donate your leaves and you put where to come pick them up um, because I will come with a truck and trailer and I will take your leaves. But (laughs) I know a lot of people who will do that. So keep that in mind before that you send them to the landfill that they can be incorporated back into the system. Mm. Mm. We're all ruminating. <laughs> We're all like, made me oh, so wait. excited about like fall. You know, <laughs> I know. It's already here. I know. I'm like, where's my like spiced teas and what, stuff like that? What about like, just thinking, days, you know, the general transition from summer into fall activities and we've cleaned up and we've pulled out some of the the usual suspects. I think, you know, one thing you said, Alexis, about the disease component, thinking about like, yes, there are things that maybe have really have a lot of diseases this year. And that's the ones you definitely want to target to get out. But I also think about who are the um, susceptible, weak little buddies in the garden year after year. And those are the ones that I you know, would think about protecting mm-hmm. as well. So what are among those, the disease, the ones that tend to get disease that we want, you know, I'm the, I was, what came to mind for me was tomatoes, cucurbits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that cucurbits, including like things mm-hmm. like squash and cucumbers and melons. What else? What are some other like targeted kind of things that are the most, as far as disease? Yeah. Carryover. A carryover. I mean, if you take that logic to the very end, just about every garden crop that I know of has the potential to uh, have issues, either whether or not it's a disease carryover or it's a yummy spot for insects that bother that crop. So it's either a disease-related issue or an insect-related issue. If you take into account both of those, uh, yeah, it's uh, if you uh, leave things unattended and in its au naturel state, which, you know, it's not always a bad thing, but it can lead to long-term problems, especially if you don't have a rotation in place. It could affect just about everything in the garden because you're managing those annuals for the most part. Garden crops are, you know, mostly annu- mostly annuals. Yeah. Uh, you manage those intensively, and you and then also insects and disease. Um, so I'm thinking yeah. too, like this time of year, cover crops. There's this window, you know, kind of now in August through maybe November for some of the really late planted stuff. There there are windows sometimes for some of those cover crop. That's another component of this time of year. And you could think of that as cleaning up, you know, in the same way that like making your bed is cleaning up in a way. It is oh, yeah. different from cleaning up than like, you know, cleaning the kitchen or something. You know, and related to that question, Brad, is like it's clean, it's garden cleanup, but like potatoes. I got a question the other day and I had to think about it. It was like, well, when, to, when, how long can we leave the potatoes on the ground after the frost has killed the top of the plants? And that's a form of cleanup. I, I never looked at it that way. And I, you know, my stock answer is usually about two weeks, depending on if the weather is not too terribly wet. I don't want to dig potatoes at the end of the season, but they, they, ask the question in the form of, well, it's garden cleanup, but we want to leave them there as long as possible. I don't know what the reasoning for that was, but I thought that was interesting. But yeah, two weeks, about two weeks after the frost has killed the top of the crop, thinking about, you know, the letting the frost terminate the crop. It can still remain in there safely, usually 10 to 14 days, unless you just have absolutely waterlogged soil. But they asked that because they were in a garden cleanup, you know, form so i thought that was interesting as far as uh that but any other i'm trying to think of any other crops that are like that that, that affect, i mean dahlias okay 
Yeah, dahlias are are tuberous. They're Mm -hmm. actually edible as well, in case you didn't know, the edible tubers. Uh, But dahlias, the running recommendation for them has always been wait till a hard freeze when the top growth is, you know, Mm -hmm. black the next morning. That's when you can, and you've got, like Ray said, about two weeks where that soil is still going to be usually plenty warm, sometimes longer if you're getting an early freeze and then it warms back up like it does a lot. But I'm here to tell you, you don't have to wait. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Yeah. So that was always, and the reason why that's recommended for dahlias, and I would say it's pretty similar to things like sweet potatoes or regular potatoes, is because they get a cure down in there. So once that top Mm -hmm. growth is done, that's a signal to the plant. It's not photosynthesizing and putting sugars back into those tubers. And so what it naturally is going to do is create a thicker skin, which for storage purposes, they're going to store better when they have a thicker skin. But if you do pull them out ahead of time, you know, they're not, they can develop that thicker skin by allowing them to kind of dry out. But you're going to have to be a little bit more careful about your storage um, down in there. But sometimes, you know, you just need to get them out. There's just the way the weather is going to work. If it's going to be wet and they're going to rot, you can pull them out early. Uh, So that's, that's all. I feel like fall is just such a timing game and what can like i said what can you push to the last minute and what can you fit in in between there that has to be done and it's all about just kind of prioritizing and that's you know that's where prioritize the disease you know if you don't get those perennials cut back Mm -hmm. that's just it's a it's an aesthetic thing so think about like what's gonna what could die or what am i gonna lose if i don't do it put those first um, is my soil going to wash away if I don't get this cover crop down? Mm-hmm. Uh, those kinds of things are, are really, and I make a list cause I like lists. We all know I like lists. I like to and cross things the, off my list. For those uninitiated to the cut flower Hel- game helpful. with the dahlias, you, you are talking about a practice that's sometimes called lifting. Is that what that's called? That's called? So that the idea is that in our climate, <laughs> they're not going to be hardy if you leave them out over the winter. And so around here, at least, mm-hmm. Or maybe it's not just around here. I just am familiar with around here. You're you're digging those up, and whereas with a potato, you'd make yourself a nice baked potato or a nice uh, hash brown. With those, you're keeping <laughs> them in some sort of a storage environment that's under that's climate controlled, according to and, and then to climate replant them next year. Right. Is that that's and is that is it true? Right. Is it true? Are there right. some places where you don't have to do that? So kind of, right. So if your soil temperatures, well, I mean. From experience, I've overwintered them, uh, but it's it's not in just like mm-hmm. normal conditions like they were growing in. It took excessive mulch. It took silage, tarps to keep the water moisture off of them. So it's not mm-hmm. just always temperature, but always also moisture. But yes, in some more southern climates, they are they're native mm. to I think Mexico. Uh, so, you know, they're a perennial there, uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of our annuals are perennials in other places. Uh, poinsettia is a native of Mexico and it is a tree down there. If you've never seen one, it's really cool to see. what we, you know, think about is his little table plants as, uh, pretty much just giant trees they got big tables. <laughs> down there, but, but yes, yeah, so there it, yeah, we got big old <laughs> big tables. tables. So it is, it is dependent on your climate and, you know, even in the state of Kentucky, what's the, the tip, Northern Kentucky is going to be, is a different climate, a whole different climate than, um, areas in Southern, South, 
Southwest Kentucky, um, very different climate than the mountains, uh, in Eastern Kentucky. So, um, yeah, you just kind of have to know. Yeah. What about, know what, what about, uh, <laughs> digging and dividing things? What's the, what's the play on that? Am I going to wait till spring? Am I gonna like it? I know that there's different, different, uh, genres of, of plant that you might be doing that with. Yeah, there's, there's not, I don't, I don't know, maybe for garlic. I, I'm trying to think of like what vegetable you might be dividing to get those of you in the vegetable world who might be doing this, but, um, peon, I mean, peonies, you divide. What time in the fall? In the like, fall. like September? Mm-hmm. Or, okay. You know, if you, right now, August, September, um, even into early October, if you're going to divide any of your perennial sedum, I just talked about sedum recently with someone and. Uh, is a really great one that divides sedum really well. Them. Peonies can be divided really well. Pretty much any sedum if you got them. Any perennial that's not woody, that doesn't have that kind of woodier base at the bottom, can most of the time, rule of thumb, be divided. And uh, I just, I take a nice shovel out And so you're doing that when it, there's still foliage on the plant. Mm-hmm. Like my, peony, my peonies have, have leaves. Divide them. Yeah, you can do so. Peonies are. It's funny. We I always think we we tend to think of them as these really like dainty, um, very delicate flowers mm-hmm. and plants. But man, they're hardy. They grow them in Alaska. I mean, Alaska mm-hmm. has a whole peony season. Uh, that's my dream to go see them uh, in Alaska. But peonies are super hardy. It's hard to mess them up and kill that plant. It, at worst, it won't bloom. But you can really do those from the time the foliage mm-hmm. kind of is starting to color for the fall uh, through dormancy. Um, We're looking at you, Hammer Callus. I mean, just some plants. Uh, <laughs> Daylilies, yeah. Yeah, some plants are just, they they have that tolerance for, you know, doing it. With, I mean, technically, uh, I guess biologically, if you're adhering to the, the, the super sound principles, if in doubt, I guess, Brett, what you're getting at and thinking of would be, you know, one of the good times to uh, d- divide things uh, would be when it's physiologically no longer putting energy into that storage device, that mm-hmm. that root structure, the underground structure. And and if you just don't know, like Alexis has this wealth of information in her head and knows what she can, you know, do early divisions with and what she can't. Well, if you don't know, then you can wait until the top, you know, mm-hmm. subsides. Uh, where the plant's kind of shutting down, going into a semi-state of dormancy. And at that point, you know, you're pretty safe to do some of these things because the plant is less active. Yeah. When in doubt, just wait till it shuts down. Again, that's that like gives you time if you're, if you're, if you've done what you need to do and you want to start dividing now, you can, but if you get caught up in other things, you can still wait and do it, uh, you know, as long as yeah. the ground Ale- is not Alexis frozen, is in the mindset of like, I got a bunch of tasks. Where can I fit them into my schedule? Right. I mean, that's the reality, right? I mean, it's yeah. like in a, you know, prepping in a kitchen. <laughs> yeah. It's like any, anything yeah. you're doing it professionally. Yeah. And I, and whereas like, I'm thinking, yeah. I have six and it would be cool to turn them into 12. Like that, that's, that's my mentality. And, and so for me, I would probably yeah. wait until they were dormant. Cause I don't, there's not another thing that I need to, that's my fun mm-hmm. time, you know? Yeah. 12 other irons yeah. in the fire. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess I think about, mm. I, yeah, I, totally. I have a lot of friends who are moms. And so I'm also thinking about them, like they're, it is their, yep. them time, but how often do they get that too? So it might be not that you have a ton, ton of farming or gardening yeah. tasks to do. Totally. You just might have a lot of crap to do. <laughs> and so you can, yeah, fit that in when and they're Don't at. forget at the end of the season, we're talking about like uh, divisions now, but another form of 
multiplying plants would be seed savers. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't have a lot of time left on this this mm-hmm. episode to get into it, but it may be a great one for the future. But uh, now is a, a great time to be thinking about that. If you've not done that, maybe we can. Maybe that's a good good upcoming episode. But I'll put that bug in your ear. Is that it's a great time that if you're you are a seed saver, some crops lend themselves open pollinated crops lend themselves very well to. Um, saving the seeds and i've worked with a lot of seed savers over time home gardeners that have you know seeds of that their favorite tomato that they've saved for time out of the mind they have no idea what the actual mm-hmm. true variety of that or cultivar of the tomato is but they've saved it for so long that they just keep saving it but uh it's a time of year to begin thinking about that uh as things ripen and physiologically mature mm-hmm. that's when you want to save the seeds of these best most perfect fruits that were the most thrifty the best growers the most disease-free uh now's the time of year to be thinking about that yeah and along those lines like especially the fruiting ones where the seeds are within it this is when you pick a plant that and say let that let that one go all the way to seed as they yes. say don't harvest yeah, it to baby. eat it let it one go more, all one the more way. set of questions yeah. and this can be just real and, straightforward fall spring you know do it now or wait Thinking about like planting perennials, things like shrubs, things like fruit trees, things like non-flowering trees or perennials of those sorts. What's the what's the extension go-to line? Mm-hmm. I really uh, evergreens in the spring is my preference to avoid winter burn, but I love the deciduous trees and shrubs this time of year because historically. On average, we have cooler temps, uh, more moisture available this time of year. And uh, if you put that plant in the ground, uh, you know, at a time where it's going to go into dormancy, it's a good time to do it mm-hmm. for the deciduous trees and shrubs. Yeah. For Kentucky people, plant those things in the fall, I think, mm-hmm. because there's like like the Arbor Day Foundation will, will mm-hmm. tell you spring, like Arbor Day is in the spring. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that throws a lot of our people off be- because Arbor Day is from like we've talked about this before, like North Dakota or I don't know, somewhere where they have cold, cold winters and not nearly as hot as summers. So mm. good rule of thumb, if you have hot summers and your winters are relatively speaking mild as far as throughout the country, you want to plant those and um, deciduous is, again, perennials in the fall. Just to be mm. blunt. Yeah. So those things are going to have leaves on them when I plant them or they're not going to have leaves on them when I plant them? It depends on the species, but it may not and that's fine. In Kentucky, I mean, if you wait to the point where it doesn't have leaves on it, the ground's probably getting, because you want to dig the ground, not in a wet condition because you're going to destroy soil texture. So a lot of times you're putting that maple tree in the ground Mm -hmm. when it has leaves on it, but it's getting ready for winter. So it's not going to have a lot of, you know, growth needs at that point. Uh, And and we're doing it at that time. We don't want to get it too far into the winter in Kentucky because sometimes the ground just turns wet, stays wet. That's not a good time to dig. You want to dig the ground when it's fairly workable, Mm -hmm. fairly dry. So that's why a lot of times we're planting trees, uh, such as a maple, for example, in the fall when it does have a few leaves on it uh, because it's at a point where the ground still you know, we can so dig a good itching, hole. Itching to do this stuff August, September, right. maybe into October. Go for it. If if it gets yeah, into November, November, December, then that might be the, the turning point to maybe wait till the spring. 
Problematic. It could be problematic, uh, especially with some species uh, more so than others. I forget specific examples, but uh, you can have some frost heaving issues in certain instances, depending w- on the size of the tree. I would say if you are haven't purchased the plant yet uh, or divided it yet, then it's better to wait. But if it's something that like you bought it thinking you were going to plant it in September and now it's the end of November and nice. Thanksgiving is rolled around and you've not done it yet, plant it mm-hmm. and plant it with and mulch it heavily. Yeah. You know, mulch. make sure you're doing that donut mulching. We talked donut about the mulch volcano. episode. If you don't know what that do is, go listen to the mulch episode. Donut. Well, or, sorry, wait. No. Do do not. Sorry. Do not keep volcano. It from freezing. The, <laughs> yeah, do, do, do not. Donut. Do, do not. Donut yeah, I like volcano. it. Don't don't, <laughs> don't eat volcanoes. Eat donuts. Yes. There you go. Yeah. It's all about food. <laughs> it's all about food. Uh, so, yes, I would say if it's – if you have, like, a plant that needs yeah. to be planted, yeah. plant that's it. that's awesome. And I, I think, you know, yeah. the thing you all said earlier about <laughs> the, the – or that you said about peonies, with a lot of plants, I mean, not all of them, but many of them are pretty tough and, like, they want to survive. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. They just mm-hmm. want plants want to, to live. live sir. Yeah. <laughs> They just uh, well, I, I really appreciate you all just asking, answering all more? my questions. Uh, luckily, we recorded it for the podcast, but this was all just me being selfish ultimately. Um, <laughs> it's just the Brett show. Place. We're just here. I have one more question, and I got to answer. I thought, this you, I thought you were going to say you were going to ask it and answer it. I was yet. like, that's a baller. And I've move. done it. No, no, I'm, I'm going to ask it. And you guys are going to answer it. All time. I, I suspect you guys are going to have some experience with this. I, I bet you. But uh, Broad Forks, which I love, but uh, do you have a preference, uh, speaking of putting gardens to bed and working the soil and getting it ready, do you guys have a preference for like uh, how you use Broad Forks as far as breaking up hard pans, spring, fall, what? I mean, as far as working, I mean, any time's a good time to break up a hard pine. As needed. Okay. That's Mm -hmm. what I needed to know. Usually before planting. So if you're doing a fall planting, then you're going to want to broad fork before planting. Mm -hmm. So if if you're broad forking for the benefit of aeration for the plants you're going to put in, I would do it as close to the planting as I could. That's that's my thinking, at least. Yeah. Right. Right. What if you're broad forking? Broad broad fork every day, maybe. Just for good arm muscle. <laughs> and that and with broad that, fork your neighbors. Long, if you don't know whatever. what a broad fork is, Google it. It's it's an awesome tool. It's a hand tool mm-hmm. and it breaks up hard pans, which we see hard pans a lot in home gardens because of garden tillers go down six to eight inches on average and creates a hammered hard pan that water and roots or anything else can't go to if you till at the same depth every year. And these broad forks are these wonderful tools that go down and kind of help break that up depending on the design of the forest. It's almost so like a hand tool, subsoiler, um, but I've seen kind that. of, that doesn't pulverize the soil. Mm-hmm. It kind yeah. of lifts and separates. Yeah. Yeah. Just creates channels. And in the, the fall, as I more lift, sometimes I'm breaking up a hard pan, but even if I don't have a hard pan in the winter, in the fall, I am lifting the soil to increase that airification and everything and, you know, water penetration over the winter. And then that kind of pulverizes up and it seems like you can get some, benefits not related mm-hmm. to hard pans but just soil structure just letting mm-hmm. that go through the winter and then as i'm planting things man they're so good right before you plant when you break it you get that nice deep uh planting bed so yeah thank you guys all right well we're gonna wrap this up we've uh we've gone on because we're just so excited about garden prep but anyways we hope that you all have learned some stuff maybe you have been inspired on what you need to be doing for fall cleanup or fall, you know, whether that's cover cropping or 
dividing or, you know, just making sure that you pull your disease plants out so that you don't have as much of an issue the following year. Give yourself a little bit of time. Uh, this is, I think, I think the consensus is that uh, fall, there's some things that need to be done before the dead of winter and there's some things you can wait and do in the dead of winter. Uh, and so give yourself a little bit of, a little bit of break, a little bit of room to, to get through those things. Um, it, it all comes with good time. If you want to contact us so that we can open your mail on the pod, you can send us an email at hortculturepodcast at l dot uky dot edu you can also shoot us a message uh on hort culture pod which is our instagram account uh you we would love if you would leave us a review and just let us know if you've been enjoying it hopefully you won't leave us a review if you've been hating it but i yeah, guess if you leave a negative review make sure you put your be able address. to do that just kidding i'm just kidding yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll change your mind we'll, we'll send you mind. plants in the mail <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, we hope that as we grow this podcast, you will grow with us and that you will join us next week for more planty goodness. Have a great one, y'all.